My name is Tim Power. I'm one of the pastors here at Salem. I, I introduced myself a little bit earlier, but you know, um, everybody tends to make their way in about 10 minutes late. So welcome again. Um, and so I, I, I want to say good morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping alongside us today. Um, as I said, my name is Tim Power. I'm a pastor and, and I have a reputation. Here's my reputation. I have a reputation for telling dad jokes. What is a dad joke, you may ask? And I am so glad that you asked. A dad joke is like any other joke, it's just a little more painful. Because a good dad joke is not a dad joke unless it, it, it kind of like brings out a groan from the person you tell it to. So, let me just give you a couple examples. I don't mean to brag, but cashiers are always checking me out. We're not done. We're not done. <laughs> I went to a museum and saw a 2,000-year-old stain. It was from ancient Greece. Some people are writing them down. My wife told me to stop impersonating a flamingo. I had to put my foot down. See? <laughs> wow! Okay, now you know what dad jokes are. And you also know why I don't have a lot of friends. Um, as I said, I have a reputation for telling dad jokes. Here's a question that I want you to ask yourself real quick as we get started. What is your reputation? What is your reputation? What are you known for? Um, how would you describe yourself or your personality? Maybe a better question, how would other people describe your reputation? What is your reputation? What stands out about you maybe as important that other people might notice? I heard somebody say this one time, uh, protect your reputation, you only get one. Anybody ever heard that before? I don't think that's bad advice, but I kind of wonder how true this is because I, I wonder how true it is that you only have one reputation. Actually, I think we probably have about as many reputations as you have relationships. Do you know what I mean? You have as many reputations as you have relationships because if I were to ask some of your friends or maybe some coworkers or somebody, uh, if you're a young person who goes to school with you, uh, Maybe I'd ask what you're like, and they might say, oh, they're, they're loud all the time. And somebody else might say, no, they never open their mouth. Um, I, I know that, that one of my sons is really talkative at home, at the dinner table. He's got stories. He's got jokes. But then uh, when we talk to his parent, at the, uh, when he talked to his teacher at the parent-teacher conference, they say, oh, yeah, very quiet, almost never opens his mouth in class. Well, that's two different reputations for the same person, Right. So, so sometimes the same person can have many different reputations. Well, we're, we're in a sermon series right now that's called Flawed and Faithful. And we're spending a couple of weeks looking at different Bible characters who were faithful to God even though they were personally flawed people. Um, they were not sinless. They had flaws in their life. And I've said this the last couple of weeks, and I think it's really important um, for me to say this uh, as a pastor especially, I am a flawed and a broken person. If you need to ask my wife, she'll tell you. I'm a flawed and broken person, and, and that, is not, that does not mean that God cannot use me. Um, 
God does use me and can use all of us regardless of our flaws. That doesn't mean we're not trying to get better. That doesn't mean God doesn't want to make us less sinful. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want to uh, improve us in, in a myriad of ways, but being flawed doesn't mean that God can't use us. In fact, it says in Romans 3, 23 and 24, all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but all are treated as righteous freely by God's grace because of a ransom that was paid by Christ Jesus. See, we're all flawed, but we can be changed, and we are changed by the amazing love of God. Here's the important thing. It's not anything that we do that makes us right with God. It's what Jesus already did through His death on the cross and His resurrection. Why is that cross such an important symbol for for the church? It's important because it's what Jesus did, His sacrificial love, which is, is really the picture of the cross and His resurrection from the dead. Those things are what make us right with God. Did you know that there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less? And that there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more? I'll say that again because somebody probably needs to hear that. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Okay? And, and I think that this is really important. The love of God isn't a reward for change. It's a resource by which we can find change. I'll say it one more time. The love of God isn't a reward for us getting better or doing better or being better. The love of God is a resource by which we can be changed, by which we can get better. See, God wants us to change. He wants us to be less sinful. He wants us to love more. But it's not a prerequisite to Him loving us. It's a response I'll say that again. The love of God isn't a reward for change. It's the resource by which we can be changed. Now, in the past couple weeks, we looked at the stories of some flawed but faithful people in the Scripture. We looked at Moses. Pastor Terry looked at uh, Moses, the character Moses from the Old Testament, and I talked last time about Jacob. We, we saw him wrestling with God. We called. Do you remember what the name Jacob means? Heel grabber or heel catcher, or supplanter. So, so we're talking about these flawed people, and we're going to be talking about somebody from the Old Testament. Maybe it's a new person to you. Maybe it's somebody you've heard of before, but it's a woman named Rahab. We were talking about reputations earlier. By all accounts, this woman, Rahab, had a bad reputation. But God chose to use Rahab in such a big way, and she is now counted among, among the most important people in the Scriptures. So I want to set up the story a little bit before we get to today's Scripture reading, which comes from the book of Joshua from the Old Testament. At this point in the biblical story, when we get to the book of Joshua, the Hebrew people have been rescued by God out of slavery in Egypt. You remember that story? You remember when Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go, and then Charleston Heston led the people through parted waters of bad special effects? Anybody remember that movie? Well, this is all after that. So they've been led out into the wilderness. They've escaped. Now, they are leaving Egypt, and God promised them a place 
to make their home. It was the promised land, and it was going to be in the land of Canaan. Now, before they tried to enter the land of Canaan, they actually sent in 12 spies to gather intelligence. That sounds like a good idea, right? If you're going to be entering in with all of these people, you probably want to know what you're walking into. So they sent in 12 people. Two of them came back with a great report. It said, they said, it's better than we could have ever imagined. It's so amazing. The land of Canaan is perfect. We should go in now. We should take the land. But 10 out of the 12 brought in a negative report. They said, the people in Canaan are too strong. We'll never be able to win. We shouldn't go in. So bad news won the day. And the Hebrew people did not enter the promised land until after Moses died. And in fact, they didn't enter until they had a new leader named Joshua. Now, when Joshua becomes the new leader, he knows that he needs to lead them into the land of Canaan, the promised land. But he also wants intelligence to find out what's going on. So he sends in spies as well. He sends spies to the most powerful city in Canaan, a place called Jericho. But if you remember, before they sent 12 spies in, two brought back a good report, 10 brought back a bad report. So he seems to have learned his lesson. He only sends in two. (laughs) And so he sends in two to the city of Jericho. Now, when they enter, they go to the house of uh, a a woman in Jericho named Rahab. Now, uh, listen, I am going to try to keep this sermon as PG as possible. Um, But we will be reading some scriptures that, that may inspire questions on the ride home today, uh, if, if that's the case, Pastor Terry's email address is terry at salemstlewis.com, and she can have the talk with your entire family. Um, let me put it this way. If you've seen the movie Pretty Woman with Julia Roberts, Rahab shared the profession with the Julia Roberts character in that movie. Now, why would these spies who go into this place looking for military intelligence, why would they go to this woman Rahab's house. Well, Old Testament scholars tell us that because she was a woman in that profession, she probably would have been visited and hosted frequently in her home the military leaders of Jericho. Therefore, she probably would have been an in-the-know person to information that would have been important to these spies looking for military information. So, they, somehow, while the spies are there in Rahab's house, the leaders of Jericho find out. They know that the spies are there and they, they want to capture them. Now, they knock on Rahab's door and they ask her to send out the spies, but Rahab lies to them. She says that actually the spies have already left, but if they hurry, maybe they can catch them before they leave the city. The leaders of Jericho believe Rahab and they rush off to try to catch the spies elsewhere. Now, this is really surprising to these two Hebrew spies. They wonder, why would this Canaanite woman help them? And before they go to sleep that night, she actually tells them why. And we're going to read that. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, it says this, Before the spies bedded down, Rahab went up to them on the roof. She's hiding them up on the roof of her home. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. We heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Reed Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We have also heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, 
on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. We heard this and our hearts turned to water. Because of you, people can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's really important. I'm going to read that again. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, I have been loyal to you, so pledge to me by the Lord that you, in turn, will deal loyally with my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. The men said to her, we swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't reveal your mission, don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Now, here is what fascinates me about Rahab's story and how she's talking with these spies. She tells them that God has a reputation. Say, reputation. God has a reputation in the land of Canaan. She tells them that everybody in Canaan remembers what God did in Egypt. Now, understand this. This is 40 years after they left Egypt. God has had a reputation in the land for a long time. It makes me wonder, you know those spies that went in and they came back with a bad report? How good was their intelligence? It makes me wonder if they actually asked anybody in the land what God's reputation was. It makes me wonder what kind of, what, what, why did they believe that? It's 40 years later and the Canaanites are scared of death, to God, to the, scared of the God of Israel. And here's what I think about. It makes me wonder this. How often do I... How often do you let negative words, especially false negative words, hold you back from God's promises, hold me back from God's promises? Because I believe something that's not true, even though God has promised something totally different. We believe the bad reports. But it's in verse 11, it's the one I read before twice, where we really see where Rahab's heart is. She says this, This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Here's what we're seeing Rahab do. We're seeing her surrendering. Her surrendering her heart to God. She's saying, I I, I recognize who God is. Now, here's the interesting thing. She knows who God is and she's saved because of it. She trusts in God's reputation And her own reputation is actually changed because of it. How do I know that her reputation has changed because of it? Well, it's not even because of this scripture. I know her reputation has changed because if we look forward in the Bible, which we're going to do in a second here, we see how important Rahab is to the rest of the story. If we fast forward a couple hundred years to the book of James, which is a book from the New Testament, we encounter the name Rahab again. It's the same character. This is what it says in James chapter 2. It says in verse 23, So the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and God regarded him as righteous. What is more, Abraham was called God's friend. So you see that a person is shown to be righteous through faithful actions and not through faith alone. In the same way, listen, listen to this, this is so important. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous when she received messengers as her guests and then sent them home by another road? 
Did you hear that? Rahab is mentioned in the Bible alongside who? Abraham. Abraham. Remember we talked about how Abraham is the most important character, not just in Christianity, but in Judaism, in Islam. This guy is so important to the history of all civilization. And who does James mention right alongside Abraham? Rahab. Talk about a rehab to her reputation. Talk about a reputation being changed from one of negativity to one of positivity because she surrendered herself to God. It doesn't stop there. I want to read another verse from another section of Scripture. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, we have what we call the Hall of Faith. Anybody ever been to the Baseball Hall of Fame? How about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? We have all these Hall of Fames, right? Okay, they're, they're places where we recognize people for their greatness. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the hall of faith. It's people that the Bible specifically sets aside as people of the greatest faith. The author lists people from the Old Testament, and, and it goes through the important folks. It talks about Abraham. It talks about Isaac. It talks about Jacob. It talks about Moses. Then in 31, listen to this, by faith... Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedience because she welcomed spies, the spies in peace. Listen to this part. What more can I say? I'd run out of time if I mentioned Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. This is what's so important about that. So in the hall of faith, the author of Hebrews says, he mentions Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, and then says, listen, I could go on, but I'm not going to mention David. I could go on, but I'm not going to mention the prophets. This is how important Rahab's reputation became, because she recognized who God was, because she surrendered her life to the God of Israel. It doesn't stop there, and this is the most exciting one to me. If we look in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, there's this long genealogy. Who just loves to sit and read genealogies all day long? I don't know why when Pastor Deb was deciding on a book study to do, why we didn't just do one on genealogies of the Bible, all the begats, all the way through the Bible. Well, we don't usually read them, right? I remember one time when, when we tried to go through the year, the Bible in a year, anytime I would get to these begats, I would just skip over them, because why do they matter? It, 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 you know, I'm sure it's important to somebody, but why does it matter to me? So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so who begat, who really cares, right? But when we read Jesus' genealogy, if we're listening closely, we can hear God speak, because listen, if you read chapter 1, when it's doing the genealogy of Jesus, in verse 5 it says this, Salmon was the father of Boaz, who was the mother of Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David the king. Do you see that? Not too many generations from Rahab to King David. And if you keep going on in the genealogy, what you find is that it goes all the way to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Rahab was a really, really unlikely person for God to use, right? She had a bad reputation. 
She wasn't a Hebrew. She wasn't even one of these people who was born as the chosen people, right? She had a profession that was considered sinful by her own people. But God used Rahab to be a part of his big story. And here's what blows my mind about Rahab's story. Listen to this. God did not wait till Rahab changed before he used her. When, we met, when, when, when the Bible mentions Rahab, it doesn't say, there was a lady who used to be sinful, she got her life on track, then God used her. No. God used Rahab in the middle of all of her junk. God used Rahab in the middle of all of her flaws And he used her not to be a small part. God used her to be a big part. She's listed right after Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. That tells me that the love of God isn't a reward for our change. It's the resource by which we can be changed. Not only was she a small part in God's people entering the promised land, this flawed supposedly unqualified woman with a bad reputation was used by God to be a descendant of our Savior, Jesus. He did it with Rahab. He used the flawed but faithful. Don't you think he could do it with you? Don't you think he could do it with me? See, the love of God isn't a reward for change. It's the resource by which we can be changed. I want to give all of us a chance to respond to this right now. So I'm going to invite the band back up to the stage. So what now? It's one thing to kind of come to church and hear me talk about this and, 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 and feel like, okay, well, that was interesting. Well, those are some interesting facts. But, it, but here's the thing. I, I don't come to church because I want to learn some information. I want to come to church so that I can be changed, so that God can use me to change the world. Does anybody want to change the world? Does anyone, anybody, this is not a rhetorical question, okay? Does anybody want to change the world? Does anybody look around and see the world and see brokenness and see pain and see injustice and see so many people hurting that need love? Do you want to keep that the way it is or do you want to see change? Not only do you want to see change, do you want to be a part of the change? Well, here's the thing. The book of James talks about this all the time. It's not just about faith. It's not just about saying, I believe this. First we believe, and then we go out and we make a difference. First, we let the gospel come in and change us from the inside out, and then we can go out and make a difference. Once it's changed us, then we go and change. Does that make sense? But we can't go and change the world. We can't go and reach out with extravagant love if it hasn't soaked on the inside and done something, done some kind of work to make us new. So that's what I'm looking for today. And and, and maybe it's not where you're at. Maybe, Maybe you're just kind of, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what I believe about God. That's fine. You don't have to have it all figured out. You know, Rahab didn't have her theology figured out. She hadn't spent any time studying the rabbinical texts of the, Judy, of the Jewish people. What she knew was that she saw how big God was, how powerful God was, and said, I give up. I give up. And, and, and that's, that's what you can do. You, you don't have to have it all figured out, but you can look at God and say, you're God, I'm not. 
and I give myself to you. I entrust my life to you. I entrust my story to you. I entrust my reputation to you. Do with me, God, as you will. So, so I'm going to pray, and, and this can just be a moment where we pray together.